Good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Justin Rumley, and it is my joy and privilege to be your faithful host right here at Anchored. Uh, Anchored is a new ministry of Peoria Christian School where we utilize the PCS Bible team and special guests to provide unique insight into God's Word so that we can stay anchored in truth, even though the culture may try to sway us every other way. Today we're going to continue our series where we interview a number of alumni, and we're actually going to continue our conversation with Michaela Palm. You might recall from our two previous episodes with Michaela Palm, you got to hear her testimony and her passion uh, for uh, geology and for other uh, very, uh, I was going to say nerdy, Michaela, but I'll say sciency uh, to preserve your feelings there, topics, and she reflected on how Christian education played a big role in allowing the Spirit to shape her the way he has so far. Well, as promised, we brought Michaela back in studio for a very special episode where we wanted to spend the entire time just allowing Michaela to bring her biblical expertise on the topic that she's passionate about, specifically uh, evolution, creationism, the fossil record, things of that nature. And then our next episode will be Michaela bringing her scientific knowledge into the conversation uh, to, once again, address these two very important issues of evolution and creationism. One of the reasons, Michaela, I wanted to have you back is because you are designed in a very unique way. Uh, right in our last conversation, we touched on how not too many students from PCS or young people in general feel passionate about rocks, right, or feel passionate about the topics you are passionate about. So, uh, Michaela, I'm glad you made some more time for us, and I just want to kind of hand the microphone over to you to start our conversation uh, in terms of where do you want to go in Scripture? And how do you want to begin our endeavor to talk about evolution and creationism? Awesome. Yeah, it's funny. I get a lot of people that ask me, so what are you going to major in? You know, because I'm a college student and that's what everyone seems to want to know. And I'm like, oh, geology. What in the world can you do with that? Is usually the answer that I get. Uh, And so, you know, I, it's interesting because sometimes I'm like, oh, I want to go into, you know, I want to do this to prove my faith, and that's why I'm doing this, but um, sometimes I get nervous when I don't know how someone stands with Christianity. It's kind of like, oh, you know, what are they going to say? But uh, yeah, and so that's just something that is just interesting, I guess. Well, I I can imagine specifically when you go off to Augustana and really start taking classes in your major Mm -hmm. that there's almost going to be this elephant in the room of what's a Christian supposed to do with these classes or you know if they figure out that you're a a covert closeted young earth creationist or something like that you know will that impact your grade or how your your peers view you so those are certainly things uh that we'll be praying for for you about and uh know that you will need some courage and some strength that the spirit uh will provide there um so michaela though i know you are an expert not just in rocks but you uh love scripture and you have brought up to me in the past, I remember even when I had you in class, just different parts of scripture that really persuaded you with the conviction that at least macro evolution isn't consistent with special revelation or with the, the revelation of scripture. So what are some of those things from God's word that really stood out to you that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, I think one thing that really stands out that I like to think about a lot is... Um, not necessarily that a lot of people try to believe evolution in the Bible, but I think sometimes as a Christian, when you're trying to wrestle through, okay, how am I as a Christian supposed to interpret evolution and science in general? 
Um, and what I do is I think special revelation is special for a reason. So the way I'm going to approach this conversation is, okay, what does the Bible say? And then go from there and use that as my lens to say, okay, then what does um, secular science in this case, evolution, what does that say in relation to what the Bible says? Like that's the number one authority. So that's how I view it. Um, and I think, you know, it's important to say that just going forward so that people understand where I'm coming from. Okay. All right. So when we look at um, evolution, it's a historical science. We can't see it in real time. And so we have to look at, okay, what are some evidences or what's, you know, what do people use to say, okay, evolution is true? And a big proponent of that is the fossil record, which I know I mentioned a lot in my last few episodes. But I think it's important because I think sometimes as Christians, it's really easy to write it off as, oh, I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to look at it because it's so full of evolution. That's because it's a historical science and historical science always comes with worldview. Mm. And so you have to pay attention to that because I know Christians who are fully Christians and can look at the fossil record and say, no, this is proof of my faith. And so it's looking at it that way. So when you look at um, the fossil record, a lot of times you'll hear people say, okay, it's simple organisms that advance to complex organisms. Mm. Because when you look at it, you have simple things on the bottom and more complex things on the top. And then, um, so one thing to keep in mind is if we're saying that fossils are millions of years old, how do we reconcile that with the Bible, right? So a lot of times you'll hear people say, okay, so man was created later on. Like in a theistic evolution perspective, the way I understand it, they kind of put the fossil record before Genesis to keep that continuity. But there are a couple issues with that, and that's where I want to start the conversation. Okay. So one of the things that um, I noticed just in studying the fossil record and studying um, the story of creation is God lists out each day what he creates, Mm -hmm. right? So he lists on day one, we have the separation of light and darkness, and then we have the skies and the water on day two. Day three is land and plants. Day four is the sun and the stars. Day five are fish like things in the sea and things in the air. And then day six is land creatures. Okay, so there's that order in the scripture. So that's what I'm going to take as 100% infallible true. That's scripture. Amen. Okay. So then when we look at what does the fossil record say? So if you've learned in school, there's different geologic time periods. I'm not going to describe what all those are because <laughs> I don't remember half of Couldn't them. Couldn't even pronounce them when I learned about it in public school. <laughs> yeah. And so there's... Um, Actually, like, there's bacteria and different things that they found fossilized that they consider some of the oldest Mm. things. So you have, like, those simple things. That's why they call them simple to complex on the bottom. And then you've got deep sea creatures. And then you have fish. And then you have plants Mm. and insects. And then you have, um, like, weird lizard-like, (laughs) mammal-like, not mammal creatures. It's hard to explain what these things are sometimes. But if you look through, then you have birds and then you have mammals more towards the end of the story. Okay. They're kind of sprinkled throughout. Sure. But, um, I mean, those don't line up. Yeah. So you can't believe that the evolution narrative in that sense of what the fossil record says and what the Bible says yeah. at the same time. So very, very briefly here, just so we can remind our listeners. So 
what you're arguing at the start here mm-hmm. is that, um, and we kind of addressed it last episode, that there's going to be young earth creationists, there's going to be old earth creationists, theistic evolutionists, then kind of atheistic evolutionists. Mm-hmm. And kind of what you're challenging is the idea that if we want to at least allow scripture to speak to the order of creation, so on each day God right. created something, you're saying that in the fossil record, if interpreted in an evolutionary old earth type paradigm, that it actually disorders the days of creation from scripture. Is that correct? So that there are some yeah. animals that so came before it's, what it's scripture It's kind said. of like, I'm not saying the fossil record is the order of creation. Mm-hmm. Because I think that the fossil record was actually built later than creation. But what I'm trying to help people understand is you can't believe both stories at the same time. And I think it's also helping someone who's deciphering for themselves, okay, this is what my textbook says, but this is what my Bible says. What's true? Yeah. And you can't believe both. You have to, I think you kind of learned it early on. You have to pick Mm -hmm. them. So which one... I guess that's the awareness I'm trying to bring is that they are two different stories. That's actually very intriguing, Michaela. So in in the scriptural record, like you're saying, plants were created before animals. Yet in the fossil record, especially if understood in the atheistic evolutionary way, Mm -hmm. kind of plants and animals are uh, intermingled or there certainly isn't that clear distinction like we see in the the creation order of Genesis one, um, and I and I think I think you're right. It's one thing to try to argue maybe the six days of creation weren't literal twenty four hour days, which I believe they are. But it's one thing to say, oh, they weren't exactly twenty four hour days. It's another thing to argue, well, what we see on day four might have came actually before what we see on day three, and then suddenly switch these days around like our theistic evolutionary friends in some sense seem to have to do if they're going to let the fossil record interpreted through an evolutionary model uh, win over special revelation, we could say. Um, Oh, well, that's a great start there, Michaela. That's something that I didn't even know coming into this conversation. What else would you say stands out to you that our listeners should know as they consider the very important issue of origins? So another thing kind of along that same train of thought Um, as far as there's two different things that we're trying to wrestle with here. Um, And so I also, I learned about this through Answers in Genesis, and there's this dilemma of, okay, if the fossil record is placed before creation of man, then we have this death before sin problem, because we see um, not only animal death, but also suffering in ways that um, the Bible specifically mentions do not happen until after the fall. So I have I have my Bible open this whole time, but I'm specifically going to mention a couple of verses. Is that an original Greek or Hebrew translation I see? Uh, no, okay, <laughs> I'm it's English. I'm not that right, advanced yet. Sure. But um, in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 18, when the Lord is actually speaking to the serpent in Adam and Eve after the fall, He says in verse 18, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field in reference to Adam and Eve having to, I mean, they worked for things before, but the more complicated these things get because they sinned. Um, And we actually have um, fossil evidence of thorns and thistles in the fossil record. So if you're placing, I mean, that's a, I think it's an interesting how specific 
of an example that is because we see those evidences in the fossil record. So if the fossil record comes before the creation of man, that's another thing that, like, the Bible specifically says does not happen until after the fall. Wow. So you're right, right? Here in Genesis 3, verse 18 is right in the midst of the curses, mm-hmm. right, God is giving. And specifically, yeah, he says to, to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. So clearly thorns and thistles are a new advent and creation due to the fall. Yet if we find, or at least claim to find, thorns in the fossil record, it seems from a basic understanding of Genesis 3 that that fossil had to have formed after Adam, not before Adam. So it's very interesting because, once again, like you pointed out, Michaela, if we accept the evolutionary lens and interpretation of the fossil record, then we have to disorient or reorder the creation days. And even here, we have to admit that something the Bible is crystal clear on was new due to the curse actually was prevalent in creation long before Adam existed. So I can... I can completely see from your perspective how disruptive the evolutionary narrative narrative is to the uh, Genesis creation account and how this undermines the foundation of the infallibility of scripture, right, yeah. if we're going to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can tell you're on a roll, so I'm going to release you again, Michaela. What's another aspect Perfect. of scripture you want to turn to to discuss this issue um so kind of along the same death before sin so we've got the very specific thorns and thistles example um another thing i wanted to bring um something that i had to learn actually not that long ago because i used to make jokes like i love to eat like steak and hamburgers like all that and i was like oh like god made those animals for me to eat right so i should enjoy eating them and i actually had a teacher at pcs tell me um you might want to check your theology on that one. And I was like, oh, really? I should probably do that. So I did. And I went into Genesis chapter 1, and uh, verse 29 says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. Mm-hmm. So there's two interesting points. One, humans were created to eat plants, which it's fine. Eat your salads, people. Yeah. And then uh, the second point is animals. All animals were also created to eat plants in the beginning. And so in comparison to the fossil record, there's a lot of evidence of not only animals eating other animals, but also, like, fighting between other animals. Like, there are T-Rex teeth in, like, a Triceratops bone or something. Only you would know that. And there's, there's, you know, they've actually found, um, it's a really neat, it's almost like a fight scene, where these two animals, one of them's a raptor of some kind, I think, and the other one is a little baby Triceratops. Not, like, baby Triceratops, but a smaller kind of triceratops actually fossilized in combat with one another wow which is really cool yeah um and it's so interesting to hear them tell the story oh this must have been a um what do they call it like a rapid burial or some sort of like 
natural emergency mm-hmm. or some kind of extreme event of some kind that made them this way. So which I think that's interesting that they admit that. Yeah, yeah, it didn't, um, didn't happen over time, long periods, but right. something quick. And yeah. it was it was a quick, very quick thing that caused that. But to see the evidence of turmoil among animals mm. is something that would not have happened before the fall of man. Yeah, yeah. And so when you look at it that way, you've got, you know, God's initial plan for how things were created perfectly. And then you have the consequences of the fall of man that I think sometimes we often forget didn't just affect humanity, but affected the entire world around us. Yeah. Well, Michaela, I'm glad you brought this up and our listeners wouldn't know this, but we chatted a little bit before this episode. And when you brought up this specific point, uh, it reminded me of how influential this was in my own formation on the issue of origins, Uh, because so often you'll hear those who are not young earth creationists, they have to justify some type of death before the fall, Mm -hmm. right? So now if you're an old earth creationist and you don't necessarily embrace evolution, um, well, you still have millions of years of animal death, right? Even though maybe mankind didn't evolve from animals, still God specially created mankind at a certain point, millions of years after he created animals, etc. And of course, you know, in the evolutionary paradigm, whether theistic or atheistic, it involves a whole lot of death until you get to man. Now, I've heard oftentimes that these Christians who try to utilize long periods of time or evolution itself, they'll argue, well, the Bible's just talking about human death due to the fall, not animal death, not things of that nature. And I didn't really find that too convincing to begin with, but I could at least understand that they could create that kind of loophole to fit through, since we know later on in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 specifically says that death came to all men due to Adam. But then this point is what ultimately uh, kind of cut that view off in, in my mind from being um, permissible. Now, I'm not saying it's a salvation issue, but in my own experience, because, yeah, that small detail in Genesis one, talking about how God gave just the plants and the green things for food, not just for mankind, but for animals. And you have to scratch your head and think, why would God not allow meat to be eaten before the fall? Yeah. Well, if there was no death, you couldn't eat meat. So therefore, you could only eat plants. And this is actually bolstered later on, Michaela. And I know you know of this text as well. And Genesis 9, after the fall, because obviously we love steak now. Yes. <laughs> right, right. Something changed. Um, well, in Genesis 9, it says this after the flood. It says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given unto your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Listen to this. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So there seems to be the shift post-flood where God is saying, all right, Noah, now there will be this tension between you and the animals, right? Even my cat, right? There's tension between me and my cat at home. Uh, But but in, in addition to that, now you can start eating this meat just in the same way I gave you the plants before. Hmm. So the author seems to recognize that there was, they were supposed to be vegetarians, but now that changes. Uh, so this is a huge point because young earth creationism is the only model that has no death before mm-hmm. the fall whatsoever. So yeah. that's a huge point. 
Uh, didn't mean to, to steal too much of your thunder there, so we're already at 20 minutes, believe it or not. Uh, but Michaela, I know you have a, a long scroll of reasons from Scripture to be a young earth creationist, but maybe is there one or two other major points you would hit on uh, as we wrap this conversation up that our listeners should look into if they're um, considering different perspectives on creation? Perfect. So there's a couple of things I want to mention real quickly here. Um, I know a lot of times when people are wrestling with specifically time in relation to origins, you know, how are we as Christians supposed to reconcile with, okay, you know, there's all these years. And I'm not going to go into like dating methods or anything like that because there's not enough time in the world for just that. But I want to mention um, there is a verse in the New Testament that a lot of people have probably heard, Second um, Peter chapter 3, verse 8, which says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And I think a lot of times when there's confusion on, okay, Genesis says days. And the word that's used in the original language, day, has like three different meanings. And I think that's where a lot of the controversy comes from. Um, And so then when we see in this New Testament passage, okay, this is saying a day is a thousand years. Mm -hmm. But it's not saying a day is a thousand years. It's saying for the, well, you have to look at the context of the scripture. And so in the context of this letter, Paul is speaking to the day of the Lord. And he is speaking to, okay, for us, we're waiting, you know, we're yearning for the Lord to return. But... It's kind of giving us comfort because the day of, like, for the Lord, one day is a thousand, is as a thousand years. And I did a little research on this because I wanted to make sure I was able to nail it down. And it's when we learn in English class, like, what a simile is. We're comparing something using like or as. And in this, the English translation that we have, based on the original translation, because I'm using ESV, it says one day is as a thousand years for the Lord in his perspective. But if you think about it, he is outside of time. So the time that he created for us to abide by, he is not bound to as we are bound to it. Hmm. And so I think that's the context of this particular passage that gets misconstrued with the origins debate sometimes. And I wanted to point that out because I think that's really important. Mm Mm-hmm to distinguish not only was this written thousands of years after Genesis was written, but it's also speaking to a completely different issue. And there is, really quickly here, um, in Psalm chapter 90, let me get here real quick, um, there's a similar verse that kind of speaks in a similar tone. Um, So Psalm chapter 90, verse 4, it says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. And so what that's saying is kind of the same idea. And this was written by Moses, actually, so that's kind of cool. Mm. Um, But it's he's speaking earlier, and he says, From everlasting to everlasting you are God. So again, it's not speaking to what is the definition of a day. It's speaking to... God in the context of time, yeah. which he's not in time. 
And so I think in the time that we know it. So I think that's just something interesting to point out and to keep in mind as we're trying to distinguish as Christians, okay, how do we interpret days? You know, it's not that these verses are defining for us what day means. It's defining the relationship between God and time. And I think that context is a huge game changer. Well, I appreciate your commitment to what we call hermeneutics. So how do you interpret scripture? And your commitment is to the context and the original languages, which is huge because so often, and we all do it at points because we're imperfect, but we got to fight this urge that we want to eisegete rather than exegete. So exegete means exo out. So bring out the meaning of the text while eisegete to read into the meaning of the text or a meaning that isn't there. And so often we want to uh, take either an opinion we have or something from the culture and then make the Bible conform to it rather than saying, okay, we're going to take the Bible for what it says and then change our opinions about something in the culture. And I've, I've seen, I, not the Psalm 90 text per se, but I have seen that second Peter text used many times. I always get a kick out of it because, okay, a thousand years suddenly, you know, a day to the Lord is, a, or a thousand years does is a day to the Lord. That doesn't lead to 17 billion years. You know, it's like 1000 is quite uh, a little bit of a difference between a few billion. But I, I oftentimes see that and I like scratch my head and think, oh, I don't think Peter's right a commentary on Genesis 1 through 3. You know, I think rather he has something else in mind. And you pointed it out. It's about end times. It's about judgment. And that's why the next verse says the Lord doesn't desire anyone to perish, but he patiently waits for those to come to repentance. So I'm glad you're able to, to, to bring out and exegete the meaning of that uh, text to realize it doesn't really speak to uh, the conversation on origins the way some would like it to be. Now, uh, audience, you might be scratching your head and you might be thinking, all right, Justin, okay, we went through the Bible, uh, but man, isn't science so conclusive? But man, isn't the fossil record and isn't uh, doesn't every scientist uh, unanimously agree that evolution is true? And you might be scratching your head wondering, when are we going to get to that? Well, don't worry uh, because we're going to have Michaela back a second time to talk through specifically the scientific angle. And I think you'll be surprised to find that special revelation agrees with general revelation when we have the right lenses on to interpret the way scripture tells us to interpret the world. So um, Michaela, I know there are probably numerous other things from the Bible you could bring up. Um, I know in our conversations, you you have a ton of reasons, and we'll probably even maybe bring up a few more in a future conversation, but I enjoyed our time together, and maybe just as a brief recap, um, we talked about, and if I forget something here, Michaela, jump in and, and remind our audience, but we talked about how you brought up the fossil record, seems to indicate that fish came before plants, or around the same time animals uh, came before plants, but when we look at the scriptural model, uh, plants actually, I believe, were day three, and then yep. fish, day four, fish and birds, and then land animals, day, day five. five. Ah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. So, uh, Michaela's um, already correcting me. I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Plans were day three, and then uh, sea creatures and birds of the air were day five, and then um, land creatures as we know them were day six. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Close call. So, so even better, right? So the idea, if we're going to embrace the evolutionary interpretation of the fossil record, then we have to make suddenly day five come before day three, you get the point we're making. Uh, then Michaela went to the curse in Genesis 3 to talk about how thorns specifically are due to the fall, not to the original perfect creation. Yet, 
Once again, if we take the evolutionary interpretation of time and fossils, there are plenty of thorns before supposedly man evolved. Similarly, we find death, suffering, destruction in the fossil record, yet we see that uh, there was no animal death before sin. We find that in Genesis 1 and Genesis 9, and that specifically came after the fall. And then Michaela did her thing with 2 Peter and Psalm 90, showing that some of the most popular texts to appeal to uh, to help us understand or think to understand Genesis as teaching not a young earth, but an old earth. She showed from the context that that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, Michaela, is there any last things you wanted to add, or did I leave anything out? No, that sounds good to me. Um, I just want to, um, yeah, so far a recap on death and destruction, too. We also see, like, just the different um, carnivorous um, relationships between animals that did not come until after the fall. Um, so that's another thing just to be reminded of. We have scripture evidence that says we were all we were all plant eaters before the fall of man. So that's just one more thing. But you got the rest of it, so good job. <laughs> oh, I try my best, but that's why I have guests like Michaela in. Well, folks, I promise you we'll have Michaela back to talk about the scientific angle. Well, I'm excited for that episode. But until then, I hope you all have a great day, and I'll see you next time right here on Anchor.